Hey everybody, it's your voice of choice, Paul Casey here from Clock Shelves Entertainment. Just wanted to let you know that the program that you're about to listen to is the final episode of this program that we are uploading to this particular feed. If you're listening to this on the SoundCloud feed or the Clock Shelves Entertainment Presents feed on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, this is the last episode of this program that's going to be uploaded here. You can look on our social media pages for anything further. Thank you all so much for listening. This is a Clock Shelves Podcast Network production. God is my witness, he is broken in half. Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wrestling Renegades. I am the one-man pantheon, Trapzilla, Swoleboat, the Ayatollah of Swolola. That doesn't work. Uh, Zach Tonkin, and uh, joined by my, my co-host, Paul. Paul E. Payne, welcome back, everybody. We are excited to be here a little late uh, this week, Zach and I both have some things going on. I apologize, I'm actually in a, a different location than I normally record, so there might be some uh, background traffic noise, uh, louder at least than it might normally be, so please forgive me in advance. Yes, uh, and today, if you could not tell from my impassioned call at the beginning of this episode, we are going to be talking about King of the Ring 1998, which is basically your... It's the archetype for the one match show. Like there was obviously there was more going on, but that's what we talk. We talk about mankind or mankind and the Undertaker in the Hell in a Cell. Uh, we will get to that uh, at you know at some point. But uh, Paul, do you have a, a segue for the news? Because that's usually your thing. Um, we were late, so sorry to use. How about we now give you some news? Okay. Uh, WrestleMania 35 now officially has a main event, and I think it actually means main event, like last match. Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey for at least one of the women's titles. I don't quite know if they're doing something with the SmackDown title that's now on Charlotte or or what, but it is at least for the Raw championship. I saw Dave Meltzer saying that he used the phrase winner takes all, but he said, because that's the phrase that internally WWE is using, but that it doesn't necessarily mean winner takes all in terms of whoever wins gets both belts. So I don't know if they're doing, they might do multiple finishes. Oh, like, uh, like the intercontinental European championship triple threat from like, I want to say WrestleMania 2000. Yeah, I, I don't know the rest of Benoit, WrestleMania. Angle, and Jericho. Yeah, I know the match you're refer- I don't know which event it was at, but yes, basically that, where it's like the first fall will be for this title, the second fall will be for the other title. And part of the problem is, and this is something that you and I uh, kind of touched on uh, personally the other day, the fact that the SmackDown women's title doesn't necessarily seem to mean as much 
because even in the advertising leading up to all of this, they continually just say the women's title, the women's title. So I don't know if they're going to be doing a unification match or what they're going to be doing, I think, and a lot of people seem to think that they're going to do um, kind of a, a four horse women um, holding up all the belts by the end of the night sort of thing. You know, uh, Becky with the Raw women's, uh, Charlotte with the SmackDown women's, and um, Bailey and, and Sasha Banks um, with the women's tags, which would be a, ni- a very nice image to go out on because, you know, you always want to send people home happy at Wrestle. Well, most of the time you want to send people home happy with WrestleMania. But it just seems like the SmackDown women's title and division has just been forgotten during this whole thing. And that's a real shame. Yeah, and it's even to the point where, um, like Naomi, um, Lana, they're 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 tweeting their displeasure. You know, I mean, like, how bad of a job are you doing where your employees are openly being like, "Wow, this sucks." Well, okay, now I I do want to say I don't disagree, and there is this whole thing, um, you know, that uh, apparently Vince McMahon, the the day of. Because uh, it was uh, allegedly it was supposed to be that Mandy Rose was going to win and face Asuka for the SmackDown women's title, which I uh, it's kind of what I thought as well. Um, not just because I'm a Mandy Rose fan, but because for whatever reason, Mandy Rose is going to be getting the push over, say, Sonya Deville, even though Sonya Deville, I think, is a better wrestler. Yeah, she impressed me during the chamber match. She's very good. And I know our friend Kevin loves her. Yeah. Um, but from what I saw from a few different places, I guess Tuesday before the show, Vince decided no one cares about someone facing Asuka. So he decided to incorporate it. And I, as much as I, I think that this, that's bad for Asuka, I actually, I sent out a a kind of a tweet thread where I said that basically if this were real, which of course, uh, sorry about the traffic, um, Of course, uh, you know, uh, Rhonda keeps telling us it isn't real. But if this were real, the entire calendar year of 2019, house shows, pay-per-views, and television appearances, Charlotte has lost. And she keeps being told by Becky Lynch via Twitter and uh, television and things like that that she doesn't matter. She shouldn't have been inserted into this match and so on and so forth. My opinion is, if this were real... In theory, Charlotte would then go after a championship because in theory, the two women's championships are supposed to be equivalent. So for her to say, I am a champion, I am deserving of being in this match, makes sense. Do I think that's right for Asuka? Not at all. Do I think it necessarily hinders Asuka? I'd say it's 50-50 because people like you, Zach, who are fans of Asuka, will continue to be fans of Asuka. And I think that's a good portion of the audience, not the entire audience, of course, but I do think it's a good portion. So I think it's I think it works for the women's triple threat. But I think it's, it is bad for people like Asuka and Naomi and Carmella and so I mean, it's, it's bad for both divisions that are not those Becky three. Lynch, yeah, those three. It, they're, they're sacrificing their whole division for this, you know, all or nothing match, which I guess, you know, if you're going to break down walls and and do the whole first ever women's main event etc well that's you know just don't don't make it the habit you know what i mean like the the uterus memorial battle royal and its male equivalent the dre are just like a wasteland right 
It's just like, all right, we got to get them on the card somehow. So here, everybody into the pool. Which is, and if they if they got something from winning, that'd be great. But they never do. No, and that's the thing. But that's always been sort of the case with WrestleMania. That's why if you go back and look at a lot of those early WrestleManias, there are like 30-second matches, you know, a minute and a half matches, things like that, because people get on the card so that they get the bigger payday. You get, you you know, you get onto a, a pay-per-view, especially a WrestleMania, you get a bigger payday. Right. Um, unless you're, uh, who was it, Austin Aries and Neville, in which case mm-hmm. you're on the pre-show and you don't get the royalties from it, or unfortunately. Both Battle Royals are probably going to be on the pre-show, right? I would assume at least one for sure. I think it's going to be both Battle Royals, and then in between, you're going to get the cruiserweight match. Which I th- I want to say that I might have been. I think that's what they did last year. I think I think it is because then I, I'm I'm almost certain the Intercontinental Title was the first match last year because uh, um, was it Seth Rollins came out as a Game of Thrones character, basically. The Night King. Yeah, that was badass. I can't... You know what? Honestly, his WrestleMania entrances the last couple of years have been pretty tight. So he's got, like, the next, like, Undertaker. They don't do, like, crazy, crazy shit like they used to. Triple you know? H. I mean, but I think he's... Triple take... H gets the crazy entrances because it's Triple H. But what I'm saying is I think I think Rollins is is definitely taking that spot. But you also mentioned about the fact that this is the main event. And I, I again, I agree that it shouldn't take away from... Like, you shouldn't put all of your focus on the three women. Even if they are your top three women, you shouldn't put all the focus on those three women and sacrifice the rest of the division if you're trying to promote the... Uh, the you know promote the entire division that just makes no sense, um, but I I still think it's interesting this whole concept of the main event because does that mean that you know this coming Monday on Raw are we going to hear Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar also declared as a main event as WWE tends to do, or is does this mean WWE is acknowledging that only the final match of the night is the main event? Well, I'm looking at the official release on WWE.com, and it uh, it only uses the buzzword main event. And you're right, um, you know they they they're very uh, liberal with their usage of the term. You know where I come from, main event is the last show. That's just that's old school. But with WrestleMania or even some of the the smaller shows like I don't know a SummerSlam, you wind up having like four or five main events. That's you can't just do that. Uh, but I really do think, you know, I I, I do think this is going to go on last. And if they do anything else other than that, I mean, I mean, you know, another piece of news. This is related. Joan Jett is going to play Ronda Rousey to the ring, which is really awesome because Joan Jett's amazing. It so is... I I want to say maybe they're, you know, not, they're not trotting Joan Jett out for like third to last match. No. And I agree, and I, but I, I also think that that kind of that makes me think of um, when Snoop Dogg played or played, you know, uh, performed <laughs> to uh, Sasha Banks coming to the ring a few years ago. Um, right. One of my biggest concerns, though, in regards to the the ending of the match, we like, you know, people, you know, send them home happy, blah blah blah, all that. Three big matches that they could at least classify as main events in theory, right? Which would be the women's triple threat, Lesnar versus Rollins, uh, Daniel Bryan now versus Kofi Kingston. Um, do we really think all three baby faces, I'm definitely counting Becky Lynch as a baby face. Do we really think all three baby faces are going to win all three of those big matches and all three 
uh, titles are going to change? No, uh, Brock is going to keep the belt. You think? Um, so? Oh, I, I don't know if I could. Go. I know no, you. Would... I mean, it's just it's it's just it is what it is. You know, like we're all going to die someday, Paul. And I know. Brock Lesnar is going to be champion forever. Which is so funny. Even because... when he loses it, even when he loses it, the guy who beat him gets fucking cancer and has to fucking drop the belt. I'm pretty it's sure like we've fucking, swapped positions goddamn, on this now. <laughs> there's a voodoo curse. No, I've given up. I've given up. I will have my foam fist, but I will not be wearing it during the Brock Lesnar match. Cause... I will. I will be. I will be wearing a. I will get a tattoo because I got a week now of a, a, a dagger pointing at my dick on my chest to show my support. And solidarity for the one true uh, beast incarnate, Brock Lesnar. Again, it's no secret on this show, I've said many times, I understand the concept of Lesnar being there. And, you know, I understand a little bit the concept of him being champion. But we've already had it for two years. They swerved us last year at WrestleMania with that oh, win. You have no idea. And <laughs> I, I don't know how you go for another year that being said i think i would love to see rollins win i'm not this i know it's going to sound horrible i'm not 100 percent sure kofi should win that match though so i like i could see that being the one where the heel gets to to keep the belt well i suppose if we're looking at the wwe title and the universal title Logic would dictate a face has to win one match and the heel wins the other. Right. Um, so it's a matter of who's more likely to win, Rollins or Kofi. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because Kofi should. You know what? Okay. Lesnar wins, Kofi wins. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, next no. week we're going to make our win. official predictions, but. Right, right, right. I think, I think Lesnar's going to win and he's going to drop the belt to. I would assume Roman Reigns at the next Saudi show because that's probably before SummerSlam. Okay, I could see that. You know, whatever the fuck I, that is. I would feel incredibly bad for Rollins, the fact that it was built up for him for this whole year. The fact that he's been, like, busting his ass to a match of the week for the whole year, he deserves it. Yeah. But that's the not... story they're going with, which means they're acknowledging it, which means we're going to get shit on. And I'm not saying Kofi doesn't deserve it, but in terms of bigger moments and we know that over the last few weeks have been i love to use those those words attractions and moments for the concept of bigger moments um lesnar losing bigger moment becky lynch and potentially the four horsewomen holding those belts and ronda losing bigger moment because any moment when kofi wins even if it's not at mania it's going to be a huge moment i definitely think he deserves to win I feel like it could easily happen at whatever the next pay-per-view is. Money, I think it's supposed to be Money in the Bank. It could happen at Backlash. It could happen at SummerSlam. That's going to be a big moment. Lesnar losing. It is, and they're 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 telling the Daniel Bryan WrestleMania 30 story with Kofi. Right. Only way more ridiculous. Right. But I think Lesnar losing at Mania to Rollins, you know, WrestleMania worthy moment and. Because you could always, especially with Kofi, if he, you know, if he becomes the first, other than The Rock, of course, as we talked about with Kevin recently, um, if he becomes the first black, you know, WWE champion, 
is the fact that he won it at WrestleMania going to overshadow that? Not necessarily, but it will always be tied versus if he does it at, you know, even SummerSlam or basically any other show that isn't the biggest show, that will be the thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's difficult because it's easy to book them by themselves, the matches. Yeah. Be like, oh, Becky's going to win, Kofi's going to win, Rollins should win, but all three can't happen. Right, and that's the problem. <laughs> so I guess... I guess there's a reason for us to watch WrestleMania next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for a reason, and there's there's a reason. Yep. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, I think by the time we get to the last match of the three, we're going to know where it's going to go. Yeah. Almost Once we definitely. see the trend, like WWE does trends, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I feel like maybe even by the second match, we'll have an idea of where things are going to go. Yeah, almost definitely, yeah. So that'll be interesting. Um, the thing is, by that point, will we still be conscious? Um, it's going to be like five in the morning by that point. It's true. I was going to say, I know I will be, but <laughs> it depends on, it depends on how, you know, how, uh, how rowdy, I suppose, no pun intended for the Ronda Rousey sure. thing, but how, how rowdy we're going to get at mania this year. And I don't know, I'm going to have a case of uh monster and I, I don't work that day. So I don't have to be like up for 6am. Same. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe I'll have a little bit more in the tank. But yeah, no, I, I plan on hitting up the uh, convenience store and raiding their fridge for their monsters. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Triple Threat, main event, they're doing the right thing, assuming this stays the main event. Uh, Joan Jett's going to play Ronda Rousey to the ring. That's awesome. Uh, uh, tangentially related. The Hart Foundation are being inducted into the Hall of Fame, but not all of them. That's just Bret Hart, who uh, was inducted by himself in 2006. So this will be uh, his second induction. And Jim the Anvil Neidhart. So I guess they're, they're, they're not doing things uh, like by the numbers this year. with Because like you've said it before, they always do a tag team, a posthumous, a celebrity. It seems like they're just kind of freewheeling it this year. Yeah. Um, one notable name I've, I feel is off of that of the list overall is Vader. Normally they do people who've like, especially Recently. big people. Yeah. Who've passed away. And I feel like Vader should have been there. Um, we know of course why it's not the entirety of the Hart foundation because um, Owen Hart's widow won't allow Owen to be inducted. So they're not going to do the whole um, group. Uh, I definitely feel that the tag team alone is worthy they were mul- I think they were multi-time tag champs. Um, it was I. F- I feel like that 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 tag team lasted longer than the faction overall. Um, and so you know, I definitely think Bret Hart is worth two rings. I think it's ironic that this year both Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels will now have two rings at the same year. Yeah. They- they are joining Ric Flair as being the only other person with two rings in the WWE Hall of Fame, so that's really funny to me. Um, but well, yeah. we know Triple H is going to have at least three. Yeah, well, one day, yeah, but um, singles competitor DX, which he's getting this year in Evolution, because there's no way Evolution's not going into the Hall of Fame, right? Which will Evolution give, was Evolution was the shit. Which will give Flair three as well, right? So you know it keeps it even, I guess, between the two of them, because like you know. Short of Vince McMahon putting himself in for once for every WrestleMania, 
you know, I think uh, Triple H getting getting more than anybody else is a little gratuitous. Well, no, because like you, you you always wonder because like he's got like that proud NXT Papa thing, but he's also the guy with the golden shovel. So you never I don't quite know, know I, where he's coming from. I feel like over the last few years with that NXT thing, I feel like he's he's almost redeemed himself from that whole golden shovel thing. Well, he was WWE champion for a minute. Remember Recently, that? Yeah. He won he won it at the Rumble. Yep. Several which years just, ago. Which just further proves the fact that, you know, he his a lot of you know, we're saying about him and, and Flair potentially having triple rings, him and Flair both won the, the the title in a Royal Rumble. They're the only two people to, I believe, the only two people to have ever done that. Like, you know, obviously uh, Hunter is a, a big fan of Flair and people joke online about, you know, uh, about Ric Flair basically being like his dad anyway. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, I think the Camp WWE Triple H's dad was Quadruple H. Which doesn't quite so- make sense. It should be Double H, but okay. Right, but you know that's 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 Ric Flair. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I guess that's the full uh list of inductees, unless they got someone else for this coming week. I heard a rumor Brutus the Barber Beefcake, but I haven't heard anything since then. You know who's going to induct him? Hogan. Yeah. Has to be. So I think they're gonna, you know, we'll see. We'll yeah. see because this all depends on Hogan uh, and whether or not they're ready to bring him back. Uh, The only two times they have have been, like, I don't want to say extreme circumstances, but they've been very, like, peripheral-ish things. Yeah, like the Saudi Arabia show and the Mean Gene thing. Right. Like, it wasn't, it was almost non-canon when he came back. So, we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, But like I've said many times, I feel like for a situation like that... Hogan perfectly fine to be there. And and by that, I mean the hall of fame to induct beefcake fine. You know what I mean? Like have him be there. He's, he's the kind of guy, you know, you trot out for these big events. Same with, uh, Jerry Lawler, same with like any of those guys, you know, they come out for these, for the, you know, the big four or whatever, you know, the, they have the used to be Jr too, but he's done. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, but just those, those sort of guys who, you know, just always sort of, even Bret Hart shows up at, a, you know, Shawn Michaels, even though he's still kind of involved with the company. Like, these are the guys who show up at, like... Usually the, whenever they push Natalia. Yeah. But I mean... Bret shows up, which has always been weird to me. But I mean, just in general, like, having these guys at, like, some of the, the bigger events, which are, like you said, not canon in terms of, like, they're more company than wrestling related. They're more for the WWE and not the wrestling promotion you know what yeah. i mean like i yeah. feel like that's the perfect thing for for hogan like let him do that let him do the the company appearances i don't need to that, like i said that thing for mean gene fine i don't need to see him be the next on-screen authority figure i don't need to see him come back for one more match i don't need to see him you know just coming out going like hey brother you know here i'm gonna introduce the next match or whatever like no for company events fine anything else I don't need it. And I say that as somebody who's, you know me, I'm very much into, you know, I'm perfectly fine with a lot of times, like bringing back, you know, some of the the old school guys for a WrestleMania match or something like that. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a Hulk Hogan fan because I'm, you know, kind of from that, like the second half of his era, you know, 80s, 90s. I'm definitely a 90s person in that way. Well, I I mean, you can't, you can't 
you know, disagree with the fact that Hulk Hogan's the reason that this company is as gigantic as it is. Right. So, you know, I mean, yeah, he fucked up royally, but you can't just ignore his existence. Like when they Crispin Watt him a couple years ago, I, I thought that was extreme. Yeah. You and know, like like, said, there's a difference between what Crispin Watt did and being a little, well, being very racist. I feel like both are bad, but one of them's a lot worse. Yes, exactly. Both are bad, but one of them is a lot worse. <laughs> so much so that uh, Benoit is just, he's non-canon. Which, uh, it's funny because I plan on watching WrestleMania 20 um, soon, just uh, just to fuck around. And uh, I can't wait to see Shawn Michaels and Triple H misplace the World Heavyweight title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I think Randy Orton finds it at SummerSlam. I forget how, the, how that worked, but yeah, no, they lost it. And that's uh, that's what Eddie Guerrero celebrating by himself in the ring, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was really weird. He just comes out and he's crying and he's miming, hugging somebody. But there's there's nobody there. I don't really. It, it was weird. WrestleMania 20 was a weird show. <laughs> uh, I mean, you had that Goldberg Brock Lesnar debacle that was only saved by a couple of stunners. Yep. Yeah. Um Things that can't be saved by a couple of stunners. Lucha Underground. I was just going to say, speaking of debacles, why don't you talk about that? <laughs> same, you know, same flavor. Uh, so the Lucha Underground lawsuits, um, that is, uh, let's see, ever since the fourth season of Lucha Underground, um, I think it was Ivelisse who started it in January. Uh, Joey Ryan, King Cuerno, uh, who is outside of Lucha Underground known as El Hijo del Fantasma. Um, oh, and Cobra Moon, uh, who is known outside of Lucha as Thunder Rosa. Basically, they were held hostage. They could not work for any company that had a TV deal because Lucha had them under contract. But Lucha is perpetually in a state of non- almost non-existence. So, so there were some shitty contracts. I will say that much. But um, all all of those mentioned, all those names mentioned, they won, they won their class action, and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that Lucha Underground is dead. And after having seen like the first half of the fourth season, I haven't even finished it yet. Um, I think it's okay for it to be dead because they lost a lot of their funding, so they couldn't be quite as wacky as they used to be. And like a lot of wrestlers, they couldn't afford anymore, so they killed them off, or they just disappeared, or they they just they killed most of them off in the span of a couple of weeks. They just murdered multiple people. Um, but let me ask you this, Zach: When it comes to Lucha Underground, is anything really dead, including the promotion itself? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I don't know. But here's no because so okay, so Mil Muertes is the man of a thousand deaths, which is still the the just the best ring name ever made, just ever thought of uh in in history of professional wrestling um but his uh god damn it what the fuck was their name his his valet it's been a while since i've watched uh the lady who is like the embodiment of aztec death or some bullshit i know who you're talking about i don't remember her name oh it's bugging me the hell um she died they killed her off too so with her dead anything should stay dead unless she's not dead in which case nothing is dead Tune in next week, folks, uh, for more Lucha Underground news. That's all I got. Rest in peace, Lucha Underground. Um, also, rest in peace. Uh, 
Vince McMahon sold. I don't know what that segue was. It's just it's what Ka- I came up with. Uh, Katrina, by the way, was it Katrina? Katrina, yes. Thank you. How could I fuck? Okay, yeah, Katrina. She's dead. They killed her off. I think that was the last episode I watched. Because I'm like, you fucking killed off Katrina? Fuck, fuck this bullshit. Yeah, but Ivelisse was still there, though. Ivelisse is great, but, like, the King, or the, the, the Mil Mortes and Katrina storyline was, like, the one story that was, like, continuing through season four. Because everything else was pretty much dropped. Right. Like, the end of season three, Rey Mysterio is in uh, Matanza Cuerdo's cage. And it's like, all right, is he going to be killed? Is he going to be devoured? And season four... Well, they couldn't afford Rey Mysterio anymore, obviously. So, poof, vanished. We just don't talk about it. Which, to me, yeah. sounds very much like a lot of the things that they used to do in soap operas. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it is a pro wrestling soap opera. And I love the first two and a half seasons of Lucha Underground to death. And I mean that literally. Because um, the promotion died. Well, yes. Also, Mil Muertes is the best. And it introduced me to, you know, uh, Ray Phoenix, uh, Brian Cage, Penta. um, Pentagon, of course. I mean, he's on my fucking wall. I love Pentagon, mm-hmm. uh, which is just one of the many reasons I'm tuning into All Elite, you know, whenever they get their shit going. Uh, I'm there for Pentagon as well as, you know, pretty much their whole fucking roster, but definitely Pentagon. Um, but... Oh, no, I was just going to say, I had a brief thing about All Elite I did see. I don't know if you saw this. Um, uh, next week, of course, we're going to be talking kind of pre-WrestleMania stuff, making predictions for various things or whatever. I saw a thing recently where Cody Rhodes made a comment that um, All Elite, unlike pretty much everything else, meaning Ring of Honor, obviously New Japan this year, uh, Impact, um, all the other things that basically go to wherever WrestleMania is, Cody Rhodes said that... Um, all Elite will never, ever, ever, ever run a show WrestleMania weekend. It's pro wrestling. Never say never. Right. I just thought that was a very interesting uh, thing to take. He was like, that's theirs. We're going to focus on our own thing. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that because everybody else is just like piggybacking off of WrestleMania. But it's the best. Because they're like, like oh. but that would be the best kind of thing to do you know what i mean well, like, yeah i mean you have every wrestling fan that's like super serious about the shit in town kaiju big battle piggybacks off of it too like you know what i mean like everything is there. yeah so pretty much all elite is more of an aberration than anything else because they're the only ones who aren't going to be piggybacking off of mania right uh hell wwe piggybacks off of wrestlemania because <laughs> uh wrestlemania access this year they're going to be filming um a whole bunch of shows so you got your NXT UK tapings, which is, you know, that's par for the course. They, they do that sort of thing with UK um, where they'll, they'll film like four or five episodes and it'll be really weird because their timing is so strange storyline versus taping schedule. Yeah. But you're also getting NXT versus NXT alumni, which is not nearly as cool as it sounds. Uh, the matches will include Roderick Strong versus Tyler Breeze. That could be good. Dominic Dijakovic versus, uh, versus Harper, which I'm super fucking into because Harper's fucking clear to wrestle. He's just not being used. Uh, Sanity versus the Undisputed Era and Cassie Sono versus Aiden English, which uh, I guess that's cool <laughs> if you're a fan of those guys. Uh, Cruiserweights Collide. So that's Cruiserweights from uh, 205 Live, NXT and NXT UK. Uh, featured matches will include Tyler Bate versus D. Brian Kendrick which will be probably fucking awesome. I didn't even know he still worked for the company, Kendrick. Yeah. 
I know. Uh, Akira Tozawa versus Jordan Devlin, a.k.a. Uh, evil Finn Balor. Flash Morgan, uh, Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews versus Aria Davari and Mike Canellis. And Albert Hardy Jr. versus Grand Metalik. Uh, we also get Brand Battle, which is two 20 superstar battle royals. Uh, both battle royals feature superstars from NXT and NXT UK. And the men's battle royal will additionally feature superstars from 205 Live. So that'll be cool, I guess. And Women's Collide, which uh, is pretty much just, you know, um, one day after female superstars main event WrestleMania. So I guess this is happening Monday before Raw. Um, you get female superstars from NXT, NXT UK, Raw, and SmackDown. Matches so, include... Oh, no, I was just going to say, I didn't realize it was going to be matches. I thought it was going to be like a, like a battle role. I was going to say, so what's the difference between that and right. the uterus memorial? <laughs> no, I mean, they're putting more effort into the women collide thing than they are women at WrestleMania, but... You know, uh, Io Shirai versus Sonya Deville, Ooh. Tony Storm versus Nikki Cross versus Bianca Belair. I'm just reading that for the first time. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Hyper Niven, who made her NXT UK debut this past week Ooh, versus Selena as, Vega. Known as Viper on the indies for any fans out there who may recognize her. Yes. And Candice, Johnny Gargano's wife, LaRae, because that's how she's been booked. Uh, versus, I'm sorry, she's way, more, she's way better than being an accessory. Did you... uh, we'll take on Kaylee Ray. Did you see um, at a recent thing, uh, going uh, briefly back to All Elite, um, Kenny Omega and Matt and Nick Jackson were there, and somebody asked them, you know, uh, who, you know, one male and one female superstar from WWE, who would you want? Of course, the the Bucks both said that they didn't necessarily want to say any names for fear of contract tampering, and so uh, Omega said, because he knows this one would be safe, um, AJ Styles, because mm-hmm. he knows that Styles just re-signed a contract. Um, but I, I don't remember which one of the Bucks said it, but said um, that Candice LeRae would be the, the female that they would want to bring in potentially to, like if, you know what I mean, like if you had like your pick, his, his pick would be um, Candice LeRae. I thought that was a... I'm not saying that she's not good in her own right, because I truly believe that she is, but I thought that was an endorsement that basically out of all of the women in the entirety of WWE, Candice LeRae is the one you you would choose for... Just like in terms of spotlight, that is a deep cut, because she rarely wrestles on TV. I'm sure she wrestles on the house show circuit. Anytime she shows up, it's uh, it's as Johnny Gargano's wife. Like She was like a, an, an NPC during the Gargano-Champa feud. Which is just sort of bumming me out. Because like, I've seen her wrestle. She's very good. Right. And it seems a little reductive of the evolution, the women's evolution, uh, WWE, and especially NXT. Which, that's like some main roster bullshit. The NXT, I thought, would have used her uh, as a wrestler, first and foremost. But maybe they have, you know, the main event scene's pretty full right now with Shayna Baszler, Ayo Shirai, Kyrie Sane, Bianca Belair... Uh, maybe they're waiting for some people to get moved up, and then Candice can move in. Or, but you still you don't know, want now to necessarily Ch- give her like the Lacey Evans thing, where it's like, well, let's just put her out there just so people remember her. God, I really hope uh, NXT is better than that. Um, or you know, maybe with Gargano Champa storyline on on hold for at least a year, um, she'll get more of a wrestling spotlight, which I hope. Um, but yeah, no, so they're, they're filming about a whole bunch of shit at Access. Uh, I don't know when they're going to, when they're going to air. Um, probably within a week or so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. The thing that bums me out the most is like, they could have done so much with NXT versus NXT alumni. They could have done so much with that shit. 
Give me Demon Finn Balor versus Aleister Black. Give me something. But I'm going to say that this is a demo and we're going to get the cool shit, you know, further down the road now after they've introduced the concept. And it just said the matches include the ones that I've listed. So maybe there's going to be some surprises. So what you're saying is, as always in wrestling, cards subject to change. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's not happening until Thursday. So who the fuck knows what they're going to do? Um, I am I am excited for uh, Dominic Dijakovic versus Harper because uh, Dijakovic, I became a fan of a couple weeks ago when he faced uh, Keith Lee in uh, uh, the main event of NXT uh, TV. Very good match. And Harper, like I've said many times before, is the secret best member of the Wyatt family. Yeah, you're a big he Harper phenomenal. fan. He's phenomenal. And the fact that he held the intercontinental strap, yes, yes, I used the word strap. <gasps> yeah, fuck you, Vince McMahon, bitch ass. Uh, and, and, like, basically, God, I forget how he was even, I think he was like a lackey. Like, there was really no fanfare to him winning that belt at all. It's just, it's a bummer. And he, you know, they put him in those, like, maroon onesies, and they're like, you're a hammer brother. What the fuck? Ah, oh, just awful. But they're not using him at all. He's, like, perfectly healthy. He's been healthy since January, I think. Well, yeah, he was at a, a house show before Fastlane, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He posted on Twitter uh, a couple days ago, I think, basically voicing his displeasure about how he's just sitting at home. He's not even bring. He's not even being brought to uh, to the shows. He's just he, he's told not to show up. Ridiculous. And he's not a young guy, you know. He's like late thirties, early forties, maybe. I'm, you know, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't worked like a Daniel Bryan style his whole life, so maybe he's got a lot left in the tank. But you're wasting like one of your secret best talents, and who knows how long he has left to wrestle. Well, yeah, because as much as people, you know, you know AJ Styles in his 40s, he's still great. Uh, you have um, a Finn Balor, you have Adam Cole, you have Johnny Gargano, and, you know, every few years, I don't want to say it completely becomes a youth movement because we know that's not the case when you have your Brock Lesnar's and, you know, Triple H and things like that, but the youth has to move up eventually. And... Yeah, that's that's the thing is it's just, you know, it's it seems like they're ill prepared for the the time where Triple H, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels just can't do it anymore. And I think we're getting kind of close to that. And Which is really what, sad for me personally. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's a bummer to watch all those guys that used to be like they were our guys. They were our guys and their match, you know, the DX versus uh Brothers of Destruction match at Blood Money was not a good match no. you know and triple h got hurt to the point where it's like it's at, just still at hilarious first, to me that he's the one that got hurt out of those four i know because taker did not look good although he posted something on his instagram recently where he lost like 25 pounds yeah so maybe he's not retired i don't know he, he has got nothing for wrestlemania so i'm assuming nothing's gonna happen there i don't i i, I haven't heard anything other than Vince wants to get him there, which of course makes sense, but there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing planned right now. Yeah. I mean, I guess card is subject to change, but they've got a week. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's just, it's a bummer to see these guys that are just, they're old and broken down and, and they can't go forever. Not in this kind of industry. And 
John Cena is like persona non grata because he's tasted Hollywood and that's what he's doing now. So Which what does that leave him you for? No, you can't. And uh, what does that leave you? You've tried the Roman Reigns experiment four years in a row. He he main evented WrestleMania. I think now he's more over since like the leukemia thing happened. And it seems like he's either gotten better on the mic or they're letting him loosen up a little bit. But I've heard he's a little bit better with the promos. Um, you know, he's going to probably truck Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania because Drew is never booked to be as as powerful a presence as he is. I mean, just look at the dude. Oh, I know. Um, I remember yeah. him on the indies is, you know, watching a lot of uh, UK wrestling just in general indies. And, you know, Drew Galloway is a beast. Drew McIntyre. Um, it's just a shame that Drew McIntyre doesn't live up to Drew Galloway. Yeah, just you can't look at a guy like that and be like, you know what? He's just a nothing. What? He looks like he's like your ideal superstar made from like DNA banks or something like you hand grew him. Yeah, like I feel I feel like if if especially in terms of what Vince McMahon thinks or what we what we you know know of what he thinks. Yeah, not so much now, but like kind of prime Randy Orton current. Roman Reigns and current Drew McIntyre are like the ideal Vince McMahon superstars. Well, actually, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but uh, the the episode of Raw after King of the Ring 98, Vince McMahon is is describing his ideal champion, and to a T, he describes John Cena. <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah. Because it would be another four years before John Cena would work for WWE. That's too funny. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but but anyway, you know, they've done a poor we've said this so many times. They've done a poor job of building up the next generation. Yeah. Or, or they can't just hot shot somebody into a spot because then we're like, but he was irrelevant for like ever. Yeah. Like Jinder, Jinder Mahal. Mahal. You have the Jinder Mahals. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And that did not work. And what is Jinder Mahal doing this year? Probably the arm bar. The, uh, the dr- Andre Memorial. Yeah. Yeah. So great. But, uh. In Vince McMahon news, he sold a whole bunch of his fucking uh, WWE shares to uh, keep the XFL alive. $270 million, but he still owns majority stock and majority voting power, because those are two different things. He still owns the majority for WWE. And he also made a statement that even though he's he's focusing on the XFL, this is unfortunate for you and I, um, but he also said that he has no plans to take away his focus from still running everything regarding WWE. It's um, which we all thought was going to be different. We thought he was going to focus on the XFL and kind of you know not just Triple H, but like kind of everybody that Vince has has had there by his side would be kind of taking more. Uh, uh, of a, I don't want to say center stage, but that they would be, you know, given more responsibilities in running everything. But he says, nope, he's going to run both things still. That's why I say Vince McMahon will never retire. I don't think if he, he doesn't, if he doesn't die at a Raw show, I think he will feel upset about that. I don't think he could. I've, I've been, uh, you know, I've been listening to Bruce Pritchard's podcast. I'm not that far into it, but he's and this, and I'm still at the point before he. Uh, went back to work for WWE, and he's said many times that Vince is a workaholic, and we've known that for years with just how much he does, the fact that, you know, he focuses 
Um, there's, you know, the rumors that he he doesn't, except for maybe two things, one of which is Game of Thrones. He doesn't watch anything that isn't WWE programming. Like uh, the, shows. the man is is just a workaholic, and I think that's a great thing, except for the fact that he's not by not watching anything else and not paying attention to anything else. He's also not realizing that some of the stuff that he's doing isn't right anymore. Yeah, I think he he could stand to maybe broaden his horizons a little bit, because like you you have a team of writers that are probably like, all right, but like we have this thing. And it's like kind of topical, and he's like, "Nope, don't understand. We're gonna change the script." No one even knows what that is. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, no one knows what like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. What is Marvel? I marvel at these men and their beef. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that depressed me pretty much. Uh, so that's all the news I got. Uh, do you have something? Anything? I only, I only have that. Um... A new superstar from WWE has now suffered from main roster itis, as I've uh, started to call it. Um, Ali, formerly known as Mustafa Ali, has lost one of his names, so he is just known as Ali now. That just makes me think of the uh, Prince Ali yeah, song. Yeah, same. From Aladdin. Aladdin, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. same. Yep. Huh. Uh, so, rest in peace, Mustafa Ali. <laughs> We are uh, we are now segueing into the main event of the show, and by that I mean the last part of the show, King of the Ring, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, like I said earlier, it is the epitome of a one match card. Nobody talks about anything other than the Hell in a Cell, but I think that's disingenuous because you had uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin doing a ridiculous blade job during a match with Kane. And this is Kane. Kane. Kane was the world champion for like twenty four hours. Uh, yeah, I want to say it's his only world title reign. He was world heavyweight champion for a second. Okay. Maybe ten years ago. It's uh, he's always been uh kind of a giver rather than a taker. Ha. He always thought he yeah taker. he's always. Ha. Yeah, that's not what I. That's not where I was going with that. I but, know, but uh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me see. Yeah, no, he's always felt like you know he'd rather give it to somebody else. Uh, the you know being a champion, being the top guy. But he asked. See, let's see. He held the ECW title at one point. Uh, World Heavyweight, WWF. He was a hardcore champion. But yeah, no, he's held a couple. I mean, if you want to consider the ECW a, a World Heavyweight title. It was for a second. Yeah. The WWE CW version, not so much, personally. No, no. Um, so what'd you think of the card? Uh it was it was a final of the King of the Ring, ninety eight. Um you had the Hell in a Cell. Uh you had the headbangers for some reason. They're still around. Uh the one of the one of the only things that I um that like kind of piqued my interest and I've, I've read about it before, but I actually ended up finding uh, a pretty good article about it from bleacher report was the NWA uh, team of, I don't remember which was which, but it was Bob Holly and Bart Gunn managed by Jim Cornette, the new midnight express. Yes. And audacious Bart and bombastic Bob. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) the, I don't know if you, how much you know about that 
story because like there was a storyline surrounding that. I don't know how much you know about that, but I thought I, I thought that was interesting. So um, probably when we get to that match, I'll go into that a little bit. But overall, not a bad card. Um, you know, classic Triple H at one point on commentary. You know, The yeah, Rock had a great right. match. Yeah. Um, Owen Hart, of course, bringing that out like he always does. Um, overall, yeah, it was it was not. In my opinion, it was not as bad as as people tend to think this era. Like even we've watched other things from around this time in the WWF. This I don't think was as bad as some of that other stuff that we've watched. No, it wasn't. Uh, especially because like last week was NWA TNA, so I figure we could only go up from there. Yeah. Uh, so the first match was the Headbangers, Mosh and Thrasher, with Takamichinoku, who I was surprised to see was actually like really over with the crowd. Considering this is not an era that was friendly to cruiserweight uh, or light heavyweight, if you want to use WWF's term. Or uh, Japanese, really. (laughs) Yeah, and then Kayentai, who I was really into that original Funaki men's... What the fuck? Men's Tioa? Yeah, yeah. And Dick Togo. Sorry about... uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, the original version of Kayentai was great. They wrestled in street clothes, which was hilarious. And the guy that was their manager is the guy that passed away a few weeks ago, Yamaguchi. Yes, uh, yeah. This was uh, like right before the uh, the infamous thing with Valvinus. That I think that's that storyline started the next night. Oh, okay. Um, seeing Funaki with long hair, hilarious. Um, and like you said, it's you know they the light heavyweights or whatever they were, um, not necessarily uh, looked upon favorably. Uh, at that time in WWF, but good match. Good. Um, I don't, I didn't necessarily remember anything like in particular from it, except for the fact that Funaki had long hair, but um, Taka came out in a kilt. Yes. Skirt. Yes. Well, yeah, with the headbangers. Yeah. Right. Uh, then we had uh, the semifinal of the King of the Ring, Ken Shamrock defeating Double J and The Rock defeating Dan Severn. I was, uh, I was chuckling, you, especially you brought up uh, NWA TNA. I was chuckling at the, um, you know, Jeff Jarrett and the fact that we forgot to, com- we completely forgot to mention last week with his thing with uh, Toby Keith, the fact that he knows how hard it is to be a country singer. Why would he do that to Toby Keith? Because <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, you know, that was his whole thing in the in the original WWF run was he was, you know, country singer and whatever. And, and I can't believe neither of us remembered to mention that last week. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, you know, like this Jeff Jarrett is 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 sort of like there's two different versions to his canon. You got the country singer and then you get like slap nuts. Well, yeah, WWF so, versus WCW. Yeah, or even like what he was in NWA TNA where he was just sort of less a country singer. Although I think he was still rocking that at this point. Yeah. I don't remember. Did he come out with the crazy spenders or, or was he wearing in this in this King of the Ring? Yeah, he had the that kind of suspender top sort of thing. Yeah. Happening. Yeah. This is before he turned his back on country music. Yeah. But Ken Shermock beat the shit out of him and, and, and you know, tapped him out. Right. Uh, and then, right. Uh, Which is you know, also it's... funny, really quick, considering, you know, the NWA TNA thing, the fact that it was Shamrock and him were also there for that. Yes. And then you also had The Rock defeating Dan Severn. Um, you know, it's funny, in the lead-up to uh, this this pay-per-view event, the commentary would constantly go on and on about how cool it would be if Shamrock and Severn met up in the finals. 
and it would be like an MMA wet dream because Ken Shamrock was the original Brock Lesnar. Uh, as far as like that crossover star, but you know, they... well, Severn was supposed to be seen that way as well. Yeah, he wasn't booked well. No, maybe there was some backstage stuff going on, but yeah, part he, of the he was... allegedly part of the thing. You know, they call and they even called him the Beast. He was Dan the Beast Severn, and allegedly, I think somebody, I think even he says that this isn't true. But allegedly, they at Vince or somebody on the creative team. Let's just say Vince. Um, allegedly asked him to tattoo six 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 on his forehead because he was the beast. That's just that's too ridiculous even for Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, so they recognized the fact that the Rock was okay. Your, fine, was their next Vince thing, Russo. So. Let's blame it on Vince Russo. How about that? That is always safe with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, they realized the Rock was their next big thing. So uh, the Rock defeated Dan Severn with. Uh, help from who helped him? Did somebody help him? I think I think the nation interfered. I think so. I can't remember if D'Lo Brown did the 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 splash on Severn or if it was on Shamrock. I watched this a week ago. Yeah, I watched it the other day as well. I don't really. I, it, it doesn't. I again, all I could think of is the fact, like I mentioned, the NWA thing. Severn was kind of there as part of that as well. So that's one of the things that I, not necessarily for this match, but kind of him being brought into the WWF at this time was because of that. Um, I don't remember exactly how that went down because I know um, the Owen match had a little bit of nation interference as well. So it all kind of just blends together for me having watched this a few days ago. Right. Um, so that sets up our final for the King of the Ring later in the show. Ken Shamrock versus The Rock. Sham Rock versus Shamrock. Yes. Which they didn't uh, play up nearly as much as I thought they would have. You think, you would think. Um, then we also have uh, Pre-Crisis uh, Too Cool. Too Brian much. Brian and Scott Taylor, known as Too Much, which I guess they were kind of like a gay panic tag team at the time, rather than like white hip-hop enthusiasts. Uh, defeated Al Snow and Head with some chicanery. Oh, come on, dude! You did. You're telling me you didn't laugh during that Head and Shoulders. No, I, I loved it. It was hilarious. <laughs> I, I, it took me a second to realize what they were doing. I'm like, that's genuinely clever. The only thing I and we we had this at a. I don't remember wh- what it was. I think it was a Survivor Series. I don't remember if it was '98 or '99. But we had this as uh, a, another moment. Um, Jr. continuously says about the family resemblance between Brian Christopher and Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Lawler is constantly just like, I don't know what you're talking about, and whatever. And it's like clear, and like the camera at one point, flat out shows a sh- like a, a a one shot on. Christopher and then a one shot on Lawler and you could definitely obviously see the family resemblance between the two of them but it just makes me laugh that uh, King was constantly there going you know I don't know what you're talking about it seemed like he was really trying to downplay it but Ross whether it was through himself you know whether it was by himself or through somebody in his earpiece or whatever but he's just constantly like oh they look so much alike they look so much alike and king is just like shut up i don't want you talking about that (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but no that was that was again it was like a really dumb thing it was supposed to be the whole if if al snow won he potentially got like a contract or a meeting and like that's normally the type of thing where you would see somebody win that sort of match but the head and shoulders joke at the end. It wasn't the greatest, but it definitely made me chuckle. Yes. 
uh, prime Attitude Era humor. Yeah. Uh, so, speaking of prime Attitude Era humor, X-Pac with China defeated Owen Hart in a singles match, continuing the downfall... Oh, sorry. Uh, mm. The misuse of Owen Hart in the WWF post-Screwjob. Yeah. And it's a shame, of course, Owen is continuously looked at as one of the best um, people then, people now, uh, say, you know, one of the best. And as we mentioned before, not going into the Hall of Fame this year, completely deserving, um, deserving as a singles, deserving as a tag team, member of a faction, whatever you want to say. Probably other than China, which is somewhat being rectified this year i would say owen hart is probably the most glaring omission from the hall of fame and we know this one we can't blame on on vince or wwe we know that they want him in there and it it, that would be his rightful spot um but i yeah like i said other than china i would say probably the biggest glaring omission because it's even though you know like you said this is the mishandling of owen it's still not a bad match I, I can't, I mean, I don't necessarily, I can't remember that many Owen Hart matches off the top of my head, but I also can't necessarily name you a bad Owen Hart match. Um, you know, people would often, you know, there were, there was the whole feud he had with Brett and it was, you know, which one is the better heart and, you know, Owen never, never made it to that main event status like Brett did, but I feel like he he may be, I feel like he probably would have at least gotten a world title run at some point just as kind of like a well he's been here long enough let's give him let's give him the title sort of thing I think he would have done great with it um but it's just so unfortunate that somebody who was so amazing so talented from everything we ever hear a genuinely funny guy um, the fact that he was, you know, obviously mishandled here a little bit because of, you know, kind of post screw job things, like you said. But then, of course, the the tragic ending that would happen, uh, what, six, eight months later after this uh, pay-per-view. But, yeah, no, like I said, I can't necessarily think of a bad Owen Hart match. So, you know, that anything is even if it has X-Pac, which I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of indifferent towards X-Pac. But, you know, if it has Owen, it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. It it's um I think Owen was the only one that Vince was not cool with leaving after the screw job because like uh Bulldog and Nightheart both left pretty much immediately. Um but yeah, they wouldn't let Owen out of his contract. Yeah, one of the if I if I remember the um Pritchard episode specifically, it's because um you know, Vince gave um Neidhart and Bulldog the option to leave. Um, he didn't necessarily give Owen the option to leave, but he did give him the option to sign a an extension, like a longer contract for potentially more money. And from what I understand, I guess Bischoff didn't necessarily have much use for them because even if you look at the timeline, Neidhart left, and within, I'd say, a year or two, he was back in the WWF, at least for a little, or at least the way that Pritchard said it was, he was, uh, somebody called and asked, I think he said it was Stu Hart, called and asked if they needed um, Neidhart back, because WCW, which is, you know, 
par for the course for WCW, didn't necessarily know how to use certain people, didn't know how to utilize Bret Hart, one, didn't know how to Ugh. utilize... Um, he was the hottest guy in the world at that point when he came out of the screw job, and they did nothing. Nope. His first appearance was the the debacle at Starcade. Yep. Oh, God, um, that company. But they didn't know how to use Neidhart, didn't, you know... And Bulldog, Bulldog, as we know, was was actually he ended up going back to to the WWF as well not long after. So in a lot of ways, it kind of makes sense that Owen stuck around because he had a family. He had things he had to pay for. And with WWE, there was basically that guaranteed money. And when it comes right down to it, personally, I would think you would rather not necessarily get treated the best like you said you know uh kind of here but still be able to you know afford to pay for things for your family versus not knowing where the next paycheck is coming from or you know how good it's going to be or whatever and then being like but you know artistic integrity and all of that when he you know wasn't necessarily in the best position to do that yeah yeah it's just it's obviously it's it's bullshit and it's a it's a major bummer everything that happened uh because like i've gone back and i've watched owen's matches with brett and and i've even watched some of his matches in japan yep. which like are hard to watch because like the video quality is non-existent but the dude was the shit like yep. i watched him wrestle the great muda and i was just like glued to my seat like he he was oh man if he was around today he'd be the biggest cruiserweight wrestler in the world yeah oh for sure yeah i mean even if like you know what had what happened hadn't happened if he was just around as like an elder statesman he could like probably hang with some of the new guys or at least put them over you know he could be like the undertaker but for smaller dudes yeah i could see that yeah, almost like almost like, like a I don't want to say it like a Ray Mysterio because Ray can still go. I I I don't I doubt Owen right. still couldn't go, but almost like a like a Ray Mysterio sort of guy, like the kind of the key figure to come in and and be that guy who can you know be a tag with somebody and give him the rub or put somebody over, still have a good match in his own right, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so our, our next match, uh, more DX, uh, the new age outlaws, uh, defending their titles against the new midnight express of bodacious Bart and bombastic Bob, which is some mid nineties bullshit. I've ever heard it. So basically this storyline, I don't know if you're aware of this thing. If, if you remember, they came out managed by James E. Cornette and they had the NWA tag team titles with them. There's a very good article from Bleacher Report, if anybody's interested. It's from a few years ago, but uh, if you type in uh, basically this NWA angle, uh, uh, should come up very quickly in your in your Google machine uh, from Bleacher Report. And basically, the, um, the article talks about this whole kind of NWA angle. And what it was, was, of course, in 1996, in WCW, the NWO angle happened. And there was, you know, this invasion storyline or whatever. So by this point, that storyline was two years old, right? Because this was 98? Yeah. Yeah. So this was, that was two years old. This would have even been post-Starcade 
which is very much a, a, a downturn in WCW, the 97 Starcade. Um, so at, at a certain point, Vince was like, well, we need a hot angle like this. And for whatever reason, Cornette, who was, I think, working um, on the writing team or the booking committee or whatever you want to call it for WWF, he was, of course, still in good contact with a lot of the the old Southern wrestling guys, the NWA guys. Um, basically, when they brought uh, the original storyline in, um, Dennis Coraluzzo was part of it. Dennis Coraluzzo was somebody who we talked about in the uh, Shane Douglas ECW title episode. Uh, Coraluzzo was in charge of the NWA at the, or you know, basically acting in charge of the NWA at the time. Um, and he was, uh, you know, uh, he's the one who said that Shane was not good enough to basically be the NWA champion, but he would, you know, he was going to strip Shane of the title when he threw it down and blah, blah, blah. Um, and basically Coraluzo and one or two other guys came in and met with Vince. And the whole concept was that the NWA was going to invade the WWF because unfortunately it was this this weird thing where, for WCW, the NWO was edgy, and the, the you know they were outside guys or previous WWF guys. Whereas, when it came to the NWA, in when this storyline was going on in the WWF, I didn't like it, if I was if it was me now or even my parents, they didn't necessarily care about the NWA. Their parents or their grandparents may have cared about the NWA. Because it was very much a, like an outdated thing by that point. The ECW title uh, situation basically for a long time put a huge kind of black mark on that on the concept of the NWA. So it was just very strange that, that they thought that this would work. And basically what it was was a faction of guys came in um, you know, and and they started. I think Jarrett was a part of it for a little while, or whatever. And it was basically they were going to kind of promote NWA sort of uh, title matches and things like that on their card. And it was it was going to be Cornette was going to manage them. Like I said, Coraluzo was there, and so on. Um, the interesting thing about this was one, the fact that it failed. Like this was one of the last ever things to to have to do with this NWA thing because it just failed like completely because no one cared about the NWA. They're trying to go attitude era WWF attitude era WWF fans don't necessarily care about the NWA at in 1998, 1997 ish. One of the more interesting things I think that came out about this within the last few years was when Billy Corgan was buying the rights to the NWA Cornette on his podcast made a, a comment. I've actually played you this clip before Zach where he claimed that when the WWF um, made this deal, they made the deal to license uh, and use the NWA name basically in perpetuity. So basically for as long as they wanted to. So in theory, they still had the rights to it. However, of course, when Billy Corgan got the rights to it a few years ago, like WWE didn't contest this, so they pretty much gave up the rights, legally speaking. But it was inter- it would have been interesting had anything come from it. But 
just this whole stupid, you know, and that's the thing. They were like the new Midnight Express. No one cared about the new Midnight Express. If they wanted to see anything, it would have been the old Midnight Express, but they weren't good enough in theory to even be there. So they took WWF contracted guys who were kind of from the South and they were just like, basically pretend to be NWA guys. Like I said, Jarrett was part of it. We know Bob Holly was a WWF guy. We know Bart Gunn was a WWF guy. Interesting. The fact that they did point out the fact that Bart and Billy were brothers in this match, by the way. Um, but they were just WWF guys acting like NWA guys versus say a few years ago in the WWF a few years ago from this point when ECW came in and they actually used Sabu and Taz and you know all those guys but this was basically doomed to fail from the start because nobody cared about a promotion that was theoretically dead twice over because of the WCW uh, split and then the ECW split and it's just it's so sad that that Vince even thought that this would work to begin with do you think he actually wanted it to work I don't I I think he just wanted something to combat the fact because they were in there they were in their their ratings slump right I think it was I think it was until 98 was the you know that whole uh, 80 was it 83 weeks I think they were still in their ratings slump so I mean I could totally understand kind of grasping for anything so and you never want to go into a storyline thinking you know we've gotten this far let's let's you know well it's but it's not going to work anyway like that's just a sad way to go into it I feel like maybe at the beginning it was like oh no this could work but then it's just well we're in it so even if we don't think it's going to work we have to at least push it a little further Right. But yeah, I don't know. It's like I, I like I've been reading those best and worst reports on uh Up Rocks and it just seems like anything they try to do with NWA just seemed farcical. Yeah. Like I said, there's I mean, you know, Up Rocks has it, like Zach just said. Like I said, there's a there's a good article about it from Bleacher Report if you um if you Google those. Um you can find a lot more information from a lot uh uh more or a lot better people, uh more articulate than us per se. But uh, yeah, those are those are very good reference material if you want kind of a, a more overall thing of what was going on in the WWF at this time. Uh, after the tag match, we have the finals of the King of the Ring 1998. Ken Shamrock shockingly defeating The Rock by making him tap out. Was this a push for Shamrock or was this a... Well, The Rock is already Intercontinental Champion, so he can lose this and still be over. It might have been both, um, because they were still trying to make Shamrock, you know, what, like like I said, like kind of the big crossover mainstream guy. And The Rock was already in the feud with Triple H. I mean, I don't think The Rock needed the King of the Ring, because usually the King of the Ring was like a, you know, a push. That was the beginning of a push, but The Rock didn't need it. Well, yeah, the King of the Ring was, uh, you know, in many ways what Money in the Bank is supposed to be now. Right, yeah. Or the Royal uh, Rumble, uh, really, even. Un- until we get to 1999 where Billy Gunn wins it and the whole thing's basically rendered irrelevant. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so Ken Shamrock's your King of the Ring. Uh, the Rock loses. Uh, I, I'm, a, I, I'm pretty sure Triple H, he was on uh, commentary duties. I'm sure he got involved. 
Well, I know um, he spit in the rock. He spit water in the rock's face at least once. Right. Um, and of course, we get some prime 1998 Triple H commentary, which was pretty cringy. We also got China speaking Spanish on Spanish commentary. Yeah, dude, she was very fluent. I was like, did they practice this or does she actually speak Espanol? Well, I know now, granted, of course, this was many years later. I know um, very much towards the end of her life uh, at one point, she was in Japan. She was living in Japan as a teacher of the English language for people who wanted to just either stay there and just know a bit more English or people that were planning to come over to uh, the United States or what have you. She was over there. So she may have been a multilingual person. That's insane. Nobody talks about that. Of course not. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I say we, we save Hell in a Cell for last. And we go right to what the match that actually closed the show. It referenced the Cell only in as much as, um, you know, it came down, like the Cell came down. But, yeah, no, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get back to the Hell in a Cell match because that's the whole point the show is even talked about today. Um, the main event, the actual main event, and I'm sure if this were today, the Hell in a Cell would have gone on last, regardless of the title not being in that match. Uh, we have Kane uh, facing Stone Cold Steve Austin in a first blood match for the WWF title. If Kane loses, he has to set himself on fire. Well, he volunteered to set himself on fire. Yes, and there were there were gas cans around the ring. Um, Paul Bearer is hilarious to me. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, he was all in on that gimmick. Um, because he came out for a promo, I believe, earlier in the night as well. Um, but yeah, very predictable, you know, ending obviously because of that stipulation. Um, but Kane versus Austin, not necessarily a match you would think of because in 1998 though, I mean, Kane was a big fucking deal. He was, he still but... had that, that mystical element to him. Yeah. I'm just saying, but just in general, you know what I mean? It's not as much as Kane is like a staple big guy, main event guy of the attitude era. Like those are not necessarily two names that you think would go together because they, I don't think they had many programs together. I think this might have been one of like the only times. Um, but yeah, no, it's it was. I was a little exhausted by the time I got to this match in particular, so I don't necessarily remember a lot from it. I know it was very short. There was a lot of stuff, like I said, with the fact that the cell kept coming back down. Yeah. Yeah, that was there was some. I mean, this is the 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 prime of Crash TV. Yeah, she just had like random nonsense happening in like in 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 sequence. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah. So the cage went down, and uh, you know, Undertaker and Mankind kind of interfered. Mankind was still, I guess, kind of a corporate player, so he tried to go after Stone Cold. The Undertaker came after Mankind, and of course, Kane. Um, and I believe Undertaker accidentally, big air quotes, blasted Stone Cold in the head with a chair, which is what busted him open. Or, you know, kayfabe, because I'm pretty sure you could see Austin bleeding on, on ringside. But hmm. Austin's gushing, and the referee's un, uh, he's unconscious by this point. And, the, you know, Stone Cold is, like, continuing to just beat the shit out of Kane, trying to make him bleed, despite the fact that he's wearing two sleeves and a leather mask. 
And eventually the ref comes to, sees Austin's bleeding, and he's like, all right, it's over. Stone Cold is no longer the champion, and Kane held the title for what would be, you know, 24 hours. Yeah. That's one. I mean, I don't, I know you sometimes will watch the Raw after this. I didn't, after whatever the certain events that we do, I didn't necessarily watch the Raw after, but I do remember that is one thing that happened was the fact that it was a 24 hour, basically a 24 hour victory. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the next night Stone Cold basically manipulates his way into a rematch. Well, back then the rematch clause was still in effect. <laughs> I don't think they use that trope quite as often as they do today. Which is funny because they've tried to get rid of it today. Right. Uh, you know, but yeah, so Stone Cold would regain the title the next night. Um, I miss blood in, in my matches when it when it when it adds to the to the story. And that's the thing. Even in the build up to this, they they were showing various clips and, you know, they showed that shot of Austin um, in the sharpshooter with the blood from that match with Bret Hart at what's 12 mania 12, I believe 13. Sorry. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it, it adds and yeah, it's, we always, I mean, you know, there's, there's gratuitous bleeding, of course, like there's ECW, like the, what was his name? Um, new Jack was in the match. Uh, fuck mass transit, the mass transit incident. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, an accidental thing like uh, the Eddie Guerrero match, like that's, you know what I mean? A little much. And I, f- I feel like that's like one of the main reasons that they got rid of blood. That's literally one of the worst I've ever seen. That yeah. is a, that is a 1.0 on the Muda scale. Yeah. But like you said, when it adds to the, the match or whatever, and it's one of those situations where it's not, you know, it's not gratuitous it's just and i don't even mean in in a stipulation of a first blood match but it's like these guys have been battering each other so hard that one of them bleeds that technically makes sense in a fight like this is a fight where no like neither guy gets bruises on them you know nobody gets a black eye or anything like that so blood is one of the only things that makes it somewhat realistic of a fight yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you're, you know, you're still in the area where you're blasting each other in the head with foreign objects. Yeah. Obviously someone's going to get busted open at some point. Yeah. Um but no, not a bad not a bad way to end the show, but I know you uh and many other people of course think that there was a better way to end the show. Oh yeah. So the whole reason this card is even talked about today, The Undertaker who is kind of trending towards a more evil ministry-esque character, uh, facing uh, Mankind in the second official Hell in a Cell match? Yes. Yes. Because the first was the debut of Kane. Right, and there was sort of a match the week before where they brought the Hell in a Cell down, but I don't think that match ever actually like became a match. It was just more of a everybody fights type of deal. Yeah. But, uh, of course, you know... Like, what could we possibly say about this match? That hasn't uh, been said already? Yeah, I mean, you buy any DVD retrospective of any anything, WWE, this match is on there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, this is, this is the iconic thing. This is uh, 
up to and including the two most recent Hell in a Cell matches with Shane McMahon, where he jumps off the cell. Um, this, you know, they referenced the at the was it Mania 32. Cole, ugh, for the love of mankind, you know, uh, Mick Foley yeah. was there during that. Um, when Shane walked through the back, Foley has actually Foley said on the network in an interview with him and Shane said that he was, you know, the first person to go up to Shane and hug him and basically tell him what an idiot he was for for, you know, wanting to do that. Foley has talked about the fact that uh, Vince McMahon, you know, called him an idiot because Vince has this thing or at least had this thing where he never asks someone to do something that he wouldn't do himself, whether it was Michael's coming down on the zip line or anything like that. However, if someone volunteers to do something, he's not going to necessarily tell them no. And, you know, Foley has said that he thinks Vince didn't quite understand what they were, what, what was going to happen. He Foley didn't even quite understand what was going to happen. Um, you know, uh, uh, McMahon has said, you know, the same thing. Um, there was almost a big gaffe during it when they, uh, when Foley and Taker are on top of the cell and they step and that the cage kind of dips in, that wasn't supposed to happen. You know, like there's, there's so many things that happen in this match. The, the iconic tooth smile, which wasn't supposed to be a smile. It was Foley showing off the fact that he, you know, the tooth was in his nose, um, the thumbtacks, the, you know, the Jim Ross basically breaking kayfabe, you know, um, talking about Terry Funk coming out there, talking about like, oh, they know how to fall. You don't know how to fall from this. It was incredibly, especially considering, like we mentioned Owen Hart earlier and whatever, considering what would happen just a few months later with the Owen Hart thing, it was incredibly strange to me that Foley got thrown off of that cell and, you know, Jim Ross, like you quoted earlier, you know, you know, by God, he's broken in half or whatever. And they like immediately started showing instant replays and shots from other angles and all that sort of stuff. What if something had happened to him? They immediately went into hyping it up because it was a big moment uh mode yeah i don't know they got lucky they got really lucky twice yeah because like the 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 fall off of the cell was supposed to happen but the fall through the cell roof did not happen the way it was supposed to with the chair that's another like not only like you said that's what knocked the tooth out but and it knocked him out right that's the thing is like that and it could have been so much worse with that chair falling through and him and the chair bouncing as Mick well. Mick has, has said that uh, he took the choke slam on the roof that, that, that sent him through the, the roof of the cell. Um, it's basically him falling backward. And he basically said to all the haters out there who said he didn't sell the choke slam the right way, if he had jumped, he would have died. Like if he had jumped up to sell the choke slam and then went through the cell and then the mat, you know, the mat wasn't gimmicked the way it was at uh, No Way Out 2000 with uh, Triple H. Yeah, Mick Foley would be dead. Yeah, because that, like, he even said, like, the mat, the mats, the rings back then were like way, way, way stiffer than anything you get today. Well, that's why, if you remember, when I was first getting back into it, I said to you, like, oh, the the rings sound different. 
And it was, I guess that's partly what it is. The fact that I was thinking of, you know, even sound, you know, the, cause I mean, you probably recognized it as well. Like watching, you know, whatever NXT or the pay-per-views or whatever, the rings sound different because like you said, they are, they're a lot stiffer then than they are now. Yeah. So it's just, it's a fucking miracle. Fucking Nick Foley's alive. Multiple and the fact times that he, over. He's, he kept wrestling, not just in this match, but for years afterward. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, okay, he retired at No Way Out 2000s or so. It, I mean, he wrestled at WrestleMania 2000 as well, but whatever. Um, and wrestled at WrestleMania 20. But he also was like TNA champion at one point. Yeah. Which I'm sure he's another one that regrets working there, but he's probably a guy who had bills to pay. And that's the thing. That's That's the unfortunate thing about it is the fact that, you know, it's he did and, and that's the thing like he did this kind of stuff long before this he did this kind of stuff long after he didn't have to do it to pay his bills but he knew that you know doing a, a stunt like this would get him i don't know if it would get him a bigger payday but it would get him more consistent paydays because well, this is what turned him into a into a cult hero i mean this match is probably the reason he held the world title at all yeah because he was always seen as you know uh it's just mcfoley yeah. Which is obviously bullshit. But, uh, you know, a lot of people have criticized Mick Foley because he set the bar so high, so dangerously high. And there's actually footage of this, I think, on YouTube. Dean Ambrose, um, while he was still kind of just – he was still in NXT, but I don't think he was actually being used on TV. Um, but he found Mick Foley at like a WrestleMania weekend dinner or something or access and confronted him. And he said, you are irresponsible. Like, you've set the bar so high, people are going to kill themselves trying to reach those heights. Like, you are irresponsible. And I don't know. I don't know if he felt that way for real because John Moxley's been in some crazy shit. Or if he was just like, this is my chance. I got to, I got to, you know, if they're not going to use me, I got to do something. Yeah. But that is on YouTube. I have seen a clip of that. Um, I think it's on the Destruction of the Shield uh, Blu-ray from a couple years ago. Where they're kind of talking about like everybody's NXT tenure and and like where they came from and stuff. Okay. Yeah, it was it was interesting. So you know, I I'm thinking part of it was like Dean Ambrose was like, well, they're not using me, so if I do this, either I get fired or I get noticed. Right. So you know, obviously it worked out for him. Um. But yeah, I mean, I I can kind of see where those people are coming from when they say mankind. Mick Foley was was reckless. Like I mean, that was the second Hell in a Cell match ever. And, and they set the bar as high as you could possibly set it. And it's very funny because everybody to this day says that's the match. That's the hell in a cell that you have to live up to. Foley and Taker still think the Taker Michaels one at Bad Blood was better. Uh, you know, actually, after I watched King of the Ring, I had read that. So I went back and watched that match from Bad Blood. And it is a better match. But it is not nearly as memorable. You remember Kane. Yep. And the backdrop off like halfway up the cage wall through a table. But that was less than a year before this. And it was just blown out of the water as far as like what people remember. Yeah. It's one of those things, moments versus actual match. Shane McMahon versus Undertaker at WrestleMania Dallas, for instance. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I don't remember anything about that match other than the dive. Yeah. And that's the, and thing. the baby punches. Yeah. Well, that's any Shane thing. Huh. Huh. Um. But yeah, like I said, I feel like I, I I don't think we could say anything 
I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you don't have more to say, but I'm just saying like I really overall, don't. I mean, what what could we add that yes. hasn't been said in the last 21 years? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I, I feel 21 like... years, Paul. Yeah. This 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 show. Well, it's when was this? Uh, June. It's almost old enough to drink. Yeah. Yeah, that's and I oh, I remember this. I remember this show. Yeah, we're getting to, we're getting to be that age. It's a bummer. Okay, well, all right, we're gonna we're gonna pass on the existential crisis. Yeah. And uh, what are we doing next week? Are we doing a show or are we just doing like WrestleMania hype? Um, I mean, we could do. I have an idea for a show, but um, you know what? Okay, here's what we'll do. I have a I have a pick for a show, but it's not a very big show. It actually it'll it'll be very reminiscent of kind of these um, the way that the shows are done now, like Australia and the Saudi shows, whatever. Um, Insurrection, two thousand one. Um, it was like okay. a, an England only pay per view, and it was one of those weird. It's not canon because we're not going to show it in the U.S. sort of things. So probably run through that real quick and then do a lot of like mania weekend stuff. I figure. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing next week. And, uh, do we want to sign off? Do we got anything else to say? I don't think so. I think that's pretty much everything. Okay. Um, I just want to let everybody know that for some reason I stumbled on hardcore Holly's Wikipedia page and, uh, it mentioned he has a tattoo. So I, I Googled it. Uh, and that motherfucker has a tribal tattoo on his arm. So we'll leave you with that knowledge that hardcore Holly is a massive tool. Um, I can be found on Twitter at one man pantheon. You could tweet at me if you spell the word one, you could tweet at me how much of a tool hardcore Holly is. If you look it up, he, he, it's pretty impressive. Um, Paul can be found. Uh, well, you could plug your, you could plug your stuff. You're better at it than I am. Uh, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at JPGRB. Uh, you can find all things Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Clock Shelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. Every so often when we have uh, delays in shows like this and things, we do put little announcements up. We try to get them up as early as possible. Um but so, yeah, make sure that you're following that uh, in case there is another issue like this where we have um, an announcement and we're not able to put it on an actual show. That's uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for joining us uh, on another episode of Wrestling Renegades. Uh, King of the Ring is a one-match show, but there was like there was more going on. Than, than you would remember. If you only uh, remember it for this cell match, go back and watch it because there was, you know, it was a pretty decent card, like I said. Yeah, I mean, it's it opened with Sable slapping Pat Patterson in the face. Yeah. Um, which did you did you just real quick uh like so Pat Patterson so Sable's exiting the ring. Pat Patterson kind of like taps her on the ass, pinched her, and then she. And then he, and then she slaps, she slaps him. And I think Jr. said like that's unfamiliar territory for Pat. Yeah. So I like, I like that subtle rib. Yeah. Um. But anyway, Hardcore Holly's a tool, y'all. Bye. <laughs>